let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, Washington is the rare city where locals have three airports to choose from. And even if you are aiming to buy tickets based just on price, it's not always that simple to figure out what works best. I'm here with my co-host Bridget Todd and Scott Kyes, the founder of Going, formerly Scott's Cheap Flights. He's here to walk us through the ins and outs and secret strategies of Dulles, National, and BWI. Today is Thursday, June 22nd. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. All right, so we're going to talk about all three D.C. area airports. So let's start with the original, which is DCA, Washington National Airport, or as it's formerly now known, Reagan National Airport. This is the one that's closest to the city. Uh, It's the most convenient to get to. It's shockingly close to downtown by American airport standards. And it's also the one that is wrapped up in politics and news. There's actually been some news about it recently, which involves more efforts to change rules so there can be more long-distance flights. Can you explain like the backstory there and, and what's happening? Sure. So DCA is a very unique airport in the country in having what is known as a perimeter rule. This is a rule that limits the number of nonstop flights that can fly out of that airport based on how far that flight is set to take place. This type of thing doesn't really exist at other airports. They're really only constrained by either demand for flights where folks want to go or the sort of infrastructure of the length of the runway, the size of the planes, etc. Why does this rule exist? Well, it exists uh, for a couple reasons. The first and foremost reason why it exists is because the locals in the neighborhood really wanted to try to limit the number of flights going into and out of DCA, basically for noise reasons, which was a I would argue a much larger problem 50 years ago when aircraft technology wasn't nearly as modern as it is today. Planes were louder. The types of routes that they were flying were more overhead neighborhoods. That has actually shifted quite a bit in the past few decades. So I would argue that it's become a less salient problem than it was decades ago when it first began. And that's one of the reasons why you've seen this perimeter rule, the distance that nonstop flights are allowed to take out of DCA, actually get extended over the years. But I believe it started around 650 miles or so, if memory serves. Today, that perimeter is 1,250 miles, but there are a couple dozen exceptions to the rule. So I live out in Portland, Oregon now. I actually used to live in Washington, D.C., but I live out in Portland. Portland has a nonstop flight to DCA. It's one of the cities with an exception, LAX, Austin, but there is lobbying effort now from some airlines to try to get rid of the perimeter rule and allow for there to be many more nonstop flights out of DCA. 
the first exceptions came in like 20 or 30 years ago, and people said it's a slippery slope, there's going to be more and more. There's one argument that's like, yeah, what's the problem with that? It used to be that long-distance flights, you needed like a louder, bigger airplane, and that's not true anymore. But for us who live here, how does that perimeter rule and these restrictions in general affect the options that we've got Like when it comes time to, to book a trip? It makes it so that there are fewer flights out of DCA than you would see otherwise. This perimeter rule, if it did not exist in an alternate universe, you would see many more nonstop flights out of DCA because you would see more airlines competing for flights to that closer in airport. All things equal, travelers tend to prefer flights to an airport that's closer into the city than one that's further away. But, you know, folks also like nonstop flights. They like cheap flights. Uh, they like flights on airlines that are considered of higher quality. And so those factors certainly play in. But without the perimeter rule, you would see DCA have nonstop flights to many more airports than you do today. And that's actually one of the reasons why it's such a hot button political issue at the moment is there are a lot of congressmen, there are a lot of senators who would like to be able to have those nonstop flights out of that close in airport uh, who don't like having to either connect on their flight back home to say San Antonio or elsewhere, or don't like having to schlep all the way out to BWI or to, to Dulles to be able to get a nonstop flight home. But does that rule affect, I mean, is it more expensive to fly from DCA? I would say that BWI, you see flights on average a little bit cheaper than the other two, in large part because Southwest is such a hub in BWI and they fly a lot of kind of cheaper nonstop routes around the country. I would say that you typically, all things equal, see flights out of DCA and Dulles pretty similar. The main difference is that out of Dulles, you get a lot of nonstop long haul flights to Europe, flights to Asia, flights to the Caribbean and whatnot, whereas DCA almost always connecting flights if you're flying anywhere further than 1,250 miles. So I'm no congressperson, but I also don't love traveling through <laughs> Dulles. I don't like that drive. Um, when they built the Silver Line extension, which I have to say, I was not going to believe that it would ever get built until I was actually on it and could see it with my own eyes because they've been talking about building it for so long. But it gave an alternative to this 40-minute schlep out to Dulles. How much has it really changed the way that people here travel? Oh, sure. Look, I am very familiar with that schlep out to Dulles. Like I said, I used to live out by Union Station. And so I was one of those folks taking the metro out to Roslyn, getting on the 5A bus. You know, it was an hour and a half to get out to Dulles. Whereas flights into DCA, if I took the metro home, it would take 20 minutes. If I took a cab, it would take 10 minutes to get back home. It is a huge time saver to fly out of DCA. And so I think it's a great thing seeing now Dulles connected to the metro. A shame that it still stopped, the Silver Line still stops a little bit short of the actual airport. It's not like somewhere like DCA where you can get off the metro and just walk into the terminal, but it's you know a, a big improvement of where we have been. I don't think you have seen major flight changes in terms of people's preferences, though I, I would argue that the number of folks taking the Silver Line, the number of folks who have traveled out to Dulles so far on the Metro has exceeded expectations from what I've heard. Obviously, if you're going to take the time and money to build that infrastructure, you're glad to see it used. But I don't think it's something that is going to cause folks, by and large, to change their preference from having this close-in airport that's very adjacent to downtown D.C., 
to change their preference to being able to fly out a Dulles and have a preference for that. No Metro to BWI. There is a, you can take the Metro to the Amtrak to, to the BWI station to the shuttle bus to BWI if you so choose. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I, again for living right by Union Station. I'm familiar with that one. Used to take the Mark train up. I spent far too much of my life schlepping between transportation just to get out to BWI Airport for a little bit cheaper flight. Is it worth the hike? It was for me living right by Union Station. But if you're not on the red line, or cer- certainly if you're not right by Union Station, it raises the bar of like how much savings I would need to see in order to be willing to make that trek. I mean, speaking for myself, I find that the drive time is not appreciably different from Northwest DC to uh, BWI a lot of the times a day, and mm. the parking's cheaper out there. So, mm. yeah, absolutely. Look, and I think a lot of a lot just depends on what these sort of options are. You know, we talked about how one of the main differences between the three airports is BWI is the main airport for Southwest in the region. DCA, the main airport for American Airlines, and then Dulles, the main airport for United. And so if you're planning to fly one of those three airlines, or if there's a nonstop flight that you've got in mind, it can vary significantly which airport might best serve you, which one you might be able to have the best likelihood or the most opportunity to have nonstop flights on, hopefully cheap flights as well. And so that can certainly play into the factor. Maybe it takes an extra 20 minutes to drive to BWI, but if that's going to mean a nonstop flight rather than connecting, that feels like it's worth the extra commute time. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Do you save any money by flying from like sticking to certain airlines and maybe using some sort of frequent flyer program? And if you do, like, is it actually worth it to stay loyal to those programs and those airlines? I would argue it's rarely worth it to stay loyal to an airline. What's important to remember is that you can usually you can have loyalty to one airline or you can have loyalty to cheap flights, (laughs) but you can't necessarily have both. And that's what folks often give up 
when they stay loyal to one airline is they give up purchasing the cheapest option. You know, we talked about how these three airports have different airlines that are hubs from them. You actually often see that other airlines often offer the cheapest flights out of those airports because they're trying to poach travelers. Delta knows that American, you know, has 60% of flights out of DCA. They're the sort of 800 pound gorilla at that airport. And so what does Delta do to try to entice some of those loyal American travelers over, they offer cheaper fares. Ditto with American or Delta over in Dulles, uh, trying to compete against United. Oftentimes, if you stay loyal to one airline, that means foregoing what are the cheapest fares in order to try to chase status or, or for some other goal. So that's why it's not that it could never work out in your favor to get status or to stay loyal, but I like to always be cognizant of what I'm giving up. And I think for most folks, who, especially for people who are only taking one or two vacations a year, not regular week-to-week -week business travelers, staying loyal to cheap flights is a much better route to go. But wait, you're saying if I wanted to game the system, though, and I'm like an American Airlines frequent flyer person, the best way to find a cheap American Airlines ticket is to go someplace besides DCA, and that way I can get the most miles for my buck. Precisely. Now, look, you're usually going to see more nonstop flights out of DCA. Uh, and depending on where you're going, you know, you might have to take a connection on American if you're flying out of a different airport. It just depends where your destination is. But think about it this way. If you are American Airlines and you're looking at DCA, we have 60% of the flights here. We have the most nonstop. We have the most folks loyal to us. What is our incentive to drop fares? Very little. This is why monopoly theory works in economics. This is why antitrust is a, you know, a tenant of federal regulation because airlines that have a monopoly or, or any business that has a monopoly in a sector doesn't have incentive to be competing on price. They don't have incentive to lower their fares. And so that's why I think as consumers, rather than playing into that and just accepting expensive flights, it's important to keep prioritizing those cheap flights in order to try to not let airlines continue to kind of take advantage of those monopolies that they have. All right. So one of the things airports do to try to poach business from each other or try to woo airlines is talk up how good the food is and the shopping is and so on. Three DC area airports, which one's got the best food in your opinion? Oh, goodness. I mean, look, if you're talking about lounges, like lounge food, I think Dulles is clearly the winner there. But that's by and large because they have the most long haul flights. You've got international lounges. Wait, you mean like the VIP lounge for the airline? Exactly. Okay. Or, or for folks who have one of the fancier credit cards, Amex Platinum, Capital One Venture X, ones like that, that will give you access to some of these lounges. My personal favorite, I've always had decent enough food flying through DCA. So that was always my kind of personal favorite. But generally speaking, I was the type of person to just try to avoid as much as possible to eat before the flight, eat before the airport, because the food you're going to get in downtown DC or elsewhere is going to be head and shoulders, not only cheaper, but better than what you're going to find at any of the airports. So you're not trying to pay $112 for a mimosa 
<laughs> You're like, no, I'll just eat before I get here. I I have like these these fever dreams that I wish were just made up of spending like $28 for a beer once. Now, thankfully, this was up in LaGuardia and not at not over in, in, in DCA, but it is just ridiculous. Sometimes the markup there. And you would expect at least, like, look, if I'm gonna be paying that much extra for the food or drink, that at least it's going to be marginally better than what I would get elsewhere. No, no, no. Um, all right. So I, I love when, you know, when like a new airline or a new destination shows up in a city and they start marketing it and so on. Uh, last time I was at Dulles, they were talking up flights to uh, to Lome and Togo. Mm. What are some of the cheapest or coolest places to fly from D.C. from any of the airports right now? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you're seeing actually a pretty big increase in the, those new nonstop flights to Africa. There's a great new airline called Play out of Iceland that is flying uh, nonstop flights to Reykjavik, you know, a very manageable, I believe, four, four and a half hour flight or so from DC out to Reykjavik and be able to get there cheap. You know, look, it's a budget airline, so you've got to be aware that that $250 round trip airfare doesn't necessarily include seat selection or bags. But even when you add those things in, you might be talking $400 or $450, a great deal for a flight over to Iceland, one of the you know most beautiful places. So that's one that I've really been excited to see, not only for the flight in and of itself, but because what also what it does to other airlines. When one airline, especially a budget airline, enters a market, when researchers have studied this, they've found that the average fare across the industry tends to drop somewhere between 15 and 20%. And so even if you're someone who will never fly budget airlines like Play, like Spirit, like Frontier, we still owe a debt of gratitude for them for bringing down the fares on the airlines that we do fly because they cause there to be cheaper flights on those airlines as well. So I have just some rapid fire general travel questions, myths, things like that, that I have always thought, but I'm curious your perspective on. Uh, is it true that prices get hiked if you keep searching from the same browser? Not true. You can, I've done that. I've searched for a flight the other day, a hundred times, DCA to London. The first search, it was $598 round trip. Second search, 598 round trip, did a hundred times. Hundredth search, $598 round trip. It won't increase your fare. It won't decrease your fare. If you feel better doing it, go for it, but it's not <laughs> gonna do anything to help. I'm appreciating these emphatic answers. Uh, <laughs> does clearing the cookies make a difference? Doesn't make a difference. Is it true that Tuesdays are the best day to book? It is not the best day to book. It is the best day to fly. So this is a slightly different myth because 20 years ago, it was true that there was a single cheapest time to book your flights because airlines, when they first started selling tickets online, would do so at a predetermined time, like Tuesday at 1 p.m. And if you were one of the first ones to book, you really could get the best deal. That's not how airfare has been sold now for years, for over a decade. And so while there's no cheapest time to book your flights, there are days of the week that tend to be much cheaper than others. Tuesday and Wednesday tend to be the cheapest days to actually fly. Is there a best time of year to book? Not a best time of year to book. Typically, you're going to see the cheapest fares pop up during a Goldilocks window. So this is a period in advance of travel and cheap flights are most likely to pop up. Domestic flights about one to three months in advance. International flights two to eight months in advance. And if you're traveling during a peak season like summer or Christmas, you need to extend those windows a couple months. But there are, again, cheapest months of the year to actually take your flights. And that's January and February. You see flights in January that are 
about 80% cheaper than they were just two weeks earlier during the Christmas New Year craze. I don't know if you can answer this, but I see these videos on TikTok from Frontier about how people are being charged for their personal item, even though it very clearly fits in the little box that's supposed Mm. to display the size. The rumor on TikTok is that these agents get paid $10 per bag that they deny. Any truth to that? I don't know if the agents are getting any kickback from that. They might just be getting word from the airline that they need to really crack down. Two interesting facts for you about Frontier and bags. One, Frontier, when you look at their financials, their public financials, they make more money from passenger fees than they do from passenger fares. Out of every $100 of money that they get from passengers, about $61 comes from from the fees, like bags and seat selection, only $39 comes from the actual fares. So they have incentive to crack down. Fact number two, they get favorable tax treatment from charging extra for bags. I knew it. The reason why is that there's a federal excise tax, which 7.5%, but it only applies to airfare. It doesn't apply to things that are considered optional, like, say, your bags, your seat selection. So they actually, by charging extra for bags and not including that in the ticket, they have a more tax-efficient revenue stream coming in. Wait, so I want to know if there's anything Washington-specific about prices and schedules. Like, Congress flies out on Thursday afternoons. This is a a city with a lot of summer action. Uh, Mm. Does that mean that there are certain, like, times that you should think about booking, seasons you should think about booking that are relevant to Washington uh, flyers that might not be as relevant in some other city? So a couple of things that I would bear in mind here. You're absolutely right. You know, you see a lot of Congress people flying out on Thursdays or Fridays, flying back on Sundays or Mondays. And in many ways, that that mirrors a lot of kind of standard business travel. That's the primary reason why both around the country, but especially in Washington, D.C., Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and to a lesser extent, Saturdays, see airfare that's 30 or 40 percent cheaper than other days of the week. The reason why is the airlines know if you're flying on a Tuesday or Wednesday, you're probably not a congressperson. You're probably not a business traveler. You're probably not staff. You are somebody who is probably flying leisure, maybe vacation, maybe visiting family, but you're probably more price sensitive because the ticket cost is coming out of your personal bank account, not out of a business expense account. And so if the price is too high, well, you're just not going to book it. That's why traveling on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and to a lesser extent Saturdays tends to be a lot cheaper because the airlines actually offer cheaper tickets during those dates. Obviously, you've got the month of August that is not only a very much kind of like dead time in Washington, D.C. with Congress out of session on vacation, but also just the weather, not exactly the most favorable during that time. While you do see a lot of folks on vacation, you don't see as much kind of day-to-day, week-to-week business travel. You know, I think it's a great time to be able to get out of town where you're going to find the best deals in August, really is in those last two weeks of August, because you still have DC on break out of session, but you have schools that are just kind of starting to ramp back up. So you don't have quite as much competition from parents and families who are out of session can only travel in the summer. And that's why fares are really elevated during summer, but why they start to tail off, especially in those last two weeks of August. So if you're hoping to travel, take a vacation out of DC and you're really need to do so in the summer. Targeting that end of summer period is when you're usually going to find the cheapest fares. Scott, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here, man. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to chat.
CityCast audio producer Julia Karen is here with some quick news. Union kitchen workers are calling for a boycott of their six D.C. area locations. They say that since voting to unionize last year, employees' organization efforts have been met with illegal retaliation. Union members and volunteers will stand outside the stores asking people to stop shopping until the business, quote, ceases hostilities with the union and negotiates a fair contract. Also, many street vendors have been blocked from getting a business license due to debt they owe the city. Now, seven D.C. residents have filed a lawsuit against the Clean Hands Law, arguing that it prevents them from making money to repay their debts and punishes poverty. And finally, D.C. is the first jurisdiction in the country to implement universal standards for menstrual health classes. Beginning in the fourth grade, every student in D.C.'s public and charter schools will take classes on menstrual health. The course aims to destigmatize menstruation and prepare students to better understand menstrual health concerns. And that's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and for heaven's sake, subscribe to the morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.